Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Today, we are living in a world that is more connected than it's ever been, and that connection will probably only increase in the coming days. Add on to that the fact that all of a sudden, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. How does that affect leadership? Today, this is the focus of our discussion, and we're going to be hearing from the author of a book that is really focused on leading effectively in an increasingly complex world. We'll be focusing on some of the best practices of leaders who are really making sure they're taking care of themselves as well as taking care of the people they're responsible for leading during this time. We'll get to a little bit more about our guest, but first, do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the MindScan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the MindScan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the mind scan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today is the president and co-founder of Optimum Associates, a global leadership development and training company focused on equipping leaders with essential skills to optimize performance. He specializes in helping organizations and their leaders excel in complex, highly integrated matrix structures. He's recently released a new book, Leading in the Global Matrix, Proven Skills and Strategies to Succeed in a Collaborative World. Here is John Futterconnect. John, welcome to the podcast. Josh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Yeah, sure. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? So one of the ones in terms of sayings and expressions that uh, is particularly relevant, I think, in the world we're living in right now is the idea that uh, change will never happen as slowly as it is today. Uh, and just how aware I am, certainly for myself and my own leadership, uh, but in what I do, which is primarily supporting leaders individually and collectively um, about how absolutely crucial learning agility and and the willingness to constantly reflect, to constantly look to grow, improve, because whatever skill sets and knowledge that we have in this moment, there's a good chance that you know, in another six months, 12 months, and a year in this ever-evolving world may not be sufficient. So it's to me that that willingness and that attitude, you know, feedback is the breakfast of champions um, mm. and that willingness to learn 
that I think is absolutely crucial. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is... Compassionate, decisive, and collaborative. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? What does this group of people who are working with me know that I don't know? And what are they better at than me? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Leading in the Global Matrix. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Well, particularly this week uh, in the world of COVID, uh, there's a lot I would encourage, actually, but if I had to, to choose one, uh, I would strongly urge them to ensure uh, that they're including some movement uh, in their day because all of the benefits it has for their leadership. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Uh, why not? Uh, I'm a big advocate proponent of decent boldness. Do it within reason. There's a risk of being wrong. There's also a risk of being slow uh, and not taking a chance. And if you have to decide, I would say lean in. Now, John, we are here today to talk about your new book, Leading in the Global Matrix, Proven Skills and Strategies to Succeed in a Collaborative World. I would love for you to start off, before we get into the book discussion, I'd love for you to start off talking a little bit about how you came to co-found your current organization, Optimum Associates. Tell us a little bit about what you do and, and how you got into your business of leadership development and coaching. Sure, Josh. It's, uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but I have to use it here, Josh, that in many ways in terms of how I got here really does feel like that, that story of I feel like I was born into this line of work. So the sh really short version of that story is uh, that on the German side of my family, that's where I get my long, funny last name from. I was actually born in Germany. I have a German father, a Canadian mom, and we moved uh, to the U.S. when I was 10. Uh, but I had an aunt and uncle on the German side uh, of my family that had an executive development uh, and coaching business. And for some inexplicable reason, I, I always looked up to my uncle, but I, I was just fascinated by this blend of psychology, of human performance, of leadership, of organizations, and I was hooked. Uh, and then I focused on it in my undergrad and in graduate school. Uh, and then again, I just got extremely fortunate when I had a chance uh, to start working with, really in many ways, being mentored by for, for a number of years in the beginning by my business partner, uh, who's a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Marty Seldman, uh, who really is a legend in the field of executive coaching in particular. Uh, Marty is 76 years old now, but still uh, going strong. So I had, uh, Josh, almost like this old-fashioned mentorship kind of experience where for a, a three to four year period, uh, I kind of carried his briefcase and <laughs> was his admin and I was just a sponge. And I caught him, I think, right at the time when he was starting to think about legacy and partnership. And so I absorbed uh, a ton of learning from him uh, and then just, you know, gradually started uh, working with his clients. And 22 years later, uh, here I am. And, and that's ultimately how, how we started Optimum that, you know, for the first 10 years or so, I kind of worked for him. And then eventually we, we built the business and we co-owned the business as it is today. So when it comes to your new book, Leading in the Global Matrix, you talk about what you mean by this idea of a matrix. And depending on your background and maybe media consumption, when you hear matrix, you think of different things. But could you give the listeners a taste of what you mean in your book when you talk about matrix in the context of business. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you asked, uh, because as you said, uh, a lot of people, if they're not familiar with that term from sort of a technical business standpoint, that could definitely create some confusion. So here it is, Josh, really in, in the simplest possible terms is that the, the trend and what's happened, at least in 
larger, you know, global business, uh, Fortune 500, but well beyond that as well, has been a movement toward the recognition that the, let's call it the traditional model of sort of top-down siloed organizations, you know, you have functional leadership and you have the businesses and they, you know, partner kind of and, and make decisions at the end toward the top and everyone sort of is in isolation and does their thing is suboptimal uh, as far as trying to drive things like efficiencies and innovation and diversity of thought and best practice sharing. And I could go on. I don't want to bore your listeners. And so there, there was this natural movement that evolved that said, if we can start working together in a more integrated way as an organization, which means that we're collaborating across business, across functions, that we're making decisions much earlier in a more aligned way so we can drive aligned execution so that we're getting perspectives um, from a lot of different vantage points so we can make the best and most informed decision. Ultimately, we're going to have a better product. We're going to be more efficient. We can leverage the experience and intelligence of the organization more effectively. And uh, we're going to have a, a much more consistent voice with the customer. So there's been that you know movement. And I would say that trend hasn't changed. Certainly, I've seen the different shapes and and constructions of the matrix vary uh, as 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 much as there are organizations. So there's not a one size fits all. There's not one specific uh, sort of way of in quotes doing the matrix. Although there's some models that you could say are more traditional, others that are more informal. But really, when I say matrix, that's what I mean. What what does it mean to be able to effectively lead in a world that has now become far more integrated, and as a result, far more interdependent? And while you know, again, there's a ton of benefits and upside, many of which. I just shared. Also, what the book gets at is that it does uh, create, let's call them a set of opportunities from a leadership point of view uh, and, and skill sets and self-awareness from a leadership point of view to really ensure that you're, you're getting those benefits that that integrated structure is designed to achieve. So thinking about our world as a much more integrated place than it used to be, and with a desire here to serve the audience as best as possible, how do you think that your book is received differently now in the context of the coronavirus pandemic than it might otherwise would have been received? Yeah, boy, Josh, that's such a, a rich question. And maybe I'll, I'll start it this way and see where it goes. The premise and the way that I introduced the book, and you know, I, I wrote the book because I've been teaching and coaching about this materials now for over 10 years, is essentially sharing with leaders that the subject matter expertise, the knowledge, the ability to execute, all those things that have driven your success, uh, ensure certain elements of influencing and collaboration are great and they're, they're a really powerful foundation. But as you're transitioning into this more integrated world, you know, as that famous expression goes, what got you here won't, won't get you there. It's a little bit like moving from playing checkers to three-dimensional chess because there are just uh, a whole host of additional variables that you have to factor in in an integrated world, such as more stakeholders and partners to collaborate with, you know, factoring in power dynamics and different competing agendas and, you know, and I could go on. So there was already uh, really a recognition that the level of self-awareness a leader has to have, the level of communication skills a leader has to have, the ability uh, to be nuanced, to be able to measure your impact, to cultivate and maintain trust in an environment where trust is super fragile. So there was already an ask, you know, a big ask, I would say, of leaders to, to really raise their game. Now you add COVID, and in some way, that game raising has you know, now led to sort of the ninja level of this, because, and this is where I've been spending a lot of my time, most of my time, frankly, in the last two months, Josh, with leaders, 
is now they're being asked to lead in an integrated world during crisis. Right. So what that means is in addition to all of those skills that I just laid out in a normal circumstance, leaders are now being asked uh, to do even more. And by that, I mean that in the eye of the storm, that they are the presence of calm. Uh, they are the confidence that their teams can look toward and say, it's going to be okay because I can see my leader is optimistic and has a vision and it's going to take us you know, through this and we'll be stronger on the other side. And again, their communication skills, the empathy that's required right now to create psychological safety for teams is just paramount, right? It is the difference um, between success and, and failure. So in a certain way, um, leaders are being asked to do even more successfully. And, and if you're interested, we can really get into how I'm supporting leaders with this, which means uh, they just have to be so good at maintaining optimal functioning, coming from the right place in their brain, optimizing their mindsets and so forth. So in a certain way, these collaboration skills now are more important than ever. I would say the other side of that coin, and this is the positive, and I always like to think of things through a silver lining lens as well, is that this crisis, and I've witnessed this firsthand, has also in some ways created an extraordinary opportunity to strengthen cohesion amongst teams, to to build trust, uh, to build relationships, right? There's a there's an authenticity and a connection that just happens when you're constantly looking in somebody's office and meeting their kids in the background of your Zoom video and, and seeing where people live. There's a, a kind of a, a healthy vulnerability that's led to bonds and connections. And, you know, frankly, in crisis, we're more likely to probably put personal agendas and, you know, political dynamics aside. Uh, so the flip side of that, where I've seen leaders do this successfully that they're all describing, we've never collaborated this well. Um, we've never been, you know, this trusting of each other. We've never leaned in and relied on each, much, each other as much as we are right now because we have to. So it is interesting, Josh, because I'd say the skills are as important as ever with the added opportunity to do all of that while maintaining optimal mindsets, emotional states, nervous system performance states, while there's an avalanche coming at you. But for leaders that can pull that off, uh, I could say with some confidence, they'll come out of the other side of this with a more collaborative, more cohesive, and more trusted team and even organization, depending on the level that they're leading. And to balance all of those things that you just talked about, take someone with a lot of focus and determination. And I think it almost goes into the benefit of having a coach or someone like that by your side to maintain the perspective and to give you some guidance along the way. And to that end, you're right. I do want to know how have you been supporting leaders throughout this process? Yeah, no, thanks for that question, Josh. So the, the main message initially, Josh, to these leaders that I'm working with is that, that I know and they tell me, right? So I have no question that these leaders are completely committed that they want to extend themselves. They want to be the best leader they can be right now for their organizations. And let me add, you know, these are leaders with an extraordinary amount of resilience, of grit, of ability to power through. I mean, we're talking about uh, leaders with an extraordinary capacity to begin with. But what I, what I do caution these leaders of, in fact, I try to make a pretty strong case, is that what COVID-19 has done for so many leaders is add a level of difficulty and challenge that they've never experienced before, and that those challenges can start to accumulate and overwhelm even the best-intentioned leader. So what do I mean by that? Right, just to, to cherry-pick a few. So the level of anxiety that we are experiencing you know, as a country in terms of the U.S., but obviously as a globe, 
is just something that we don't have experience with. And I could go on in terms of stock markets and economies and people concerned about their health and well-being and those of their families and being furloughed. You could just go on. But maybe what puts a fine point on that is one of my clients who's a big healthcare provider, the executive has shared with me that they've been prescribing more anti-anxiety medication and antidepressant medication in the last you know month than they usually do in a year. So there's an incredible amount of emotional difficulty, frustration. And then, of course, you have this disruption that a lot of leaders are, are working with, especially ones that we're not used to working from home. Just before I got on here, I was talking to a leader uh, who has three kids under the age of seven. She's trying to do her job in the best way that she can, but she's also needing to support them, homeschool. Again, we could go on. And then the final one, Josh, is that virtually every leader that I talk to has described that the workload and intensity has gone up, that it is not uncommon. And you know maybe it's eased up a little bit, but when this thing started, you know, people were starting calls at 5 a.m. and they weren't getting off till 11 at night. So when you take all that collectively, that the risk, and, and this is where I really encourage leaders to, to acknowledge their mortality, to acknowledge that they are only flesh and blood, that it just comes down to science and that the neuroscience is, and here again, I promise I won't get into too much detail, but that essentially we have these two parts of our brain that are in charge of our leadership at any given moment. Uh, we have what's called the neocortex, which is the, the higher functioning, often referred to as the CEO of the brain that can be creative and listen and think rationally and empathize and all that, uh, those kind of behaviors that we're needing right now. And, and fortunately, that part of the brain can absorb a ton of stress, of challenge and respond adaptively. And you know that's why we all have stories of doing some of our best work under pressure. But ultimately, that part of the brain will get overwhelmed if we don't have a plan to address this avalanche of difficulty. And when that happens, we're just going to pivot into the limbic system, into that caveman part of our brain that while it's going to do its best to try to help us, it doesn't help in terms of leading in crisis. Uh, we, we make decisions less effectively. Uh, our communication really starts to unravel. Um, we're not reflecting. I could go on. And so the, the case that I try to make to leaders is that we have to acknowledge this reality. And that means that right now we got to have a plan. We have to be proactive uh, in a series of ways, which again, I'm happy to talk about, but to ensure that that accumulation doesn't get to the point where you're just going to pivot and, and then suddenly notice that you're leading in a way that's not only not good for your leadership, but I also try to appeal to caring about their well-being that that same overwhelm is going to start to affect mental and emotional states. It's going to start to affect your immune system, and it's going to affect how you show up for your loved ones You know, when you're done uh, doing work that day. So, John, we're tracking here because as you had been talking, I had written down this next question, and you have the insight into a lot of lives of leaders. I would love to know the the best ways that you've seen leaders responding with things like anxiety, but also just in their organizations. What are some of those things that the leaders who have really risen to the challenge are really focused in and committed to excellence and living that out? What are the types of things that they're doing in this time? Yeah, boy, another great question. So I would say that the leaders who have, have really, if you will, cracked the code or that I'm seeing excelling the most, first have the humility to understand that before I can lead my organizations and teams effectively, I have to start by leading myself effectively right now. And what that means is I've got to do some minimum things to ensure that my nervous system and my mental and emotional well-being is in place because they acknowledge 
if that's not there, I can have all the best intentions in the world. I won't be able to show up. So I'll take this question in two parts, Josh, what they do for them and then what they're doing for their teams and leadership. So what I initially then will talk to them about is just having a, a basic, what I call resilience uh, plan, strengthening resilience. So we talk about critical things like movement and all the ways that's going to help reduce stress, enhance mood, interrupt anxiety loops, help them concentrate for longer periods of time so that they're doing optimal functioning from that standpoint. You know, we get into techniques, uh, gratitude, you know, what that does to boost your mood, emotions, concentration. But also, uh, I like to delve into some slow controlled breathing techniques, Josh, that, you know, forget uh, pranayama and yoga here in meditation. I'm talking about the kind of things that they train military combatants in, that they train first responders in, that they train elite athletes in, because it just does so much to reduce stress, anxiety, keep you sharp, focused, tuned into where your body is. Once they've figured that out and they've got that in place, now they start to really think proactively about how can I be an inspirational leader, right? Right now, I mean, that word inspiration gets thrown around all the time in relationship to leadership, and it's always important. But in crisis, this really now is right at the forefront because, because organizations are needing it. So what I, I love to, to observe are these leaders that they think about that consciously. And now that doesn't mean that they feel like the beginning of every meeting, they have to give some extraordinary speech and, and so forth, but they think of creative ways. So what are some of the best things that I've seen? One is, you know, first, just that they, they get that perhaps the most important thing I can do is to make sure that I'm showing up in such a way that I'm exuding uh, that I'm embodying that calm, that confidence, that optimism. Because again, there's a lot of research here, Josh, that says on a subconscious level, team members are always reading and looking at their leaders subconsciously and figuring out what's going on, where are they, because that tells me whether we're safe or not or whether to worry or not. But then they get into great things like really encouraging their teams to do self-care practices. They model those practices themselves. I've seen leaders who, you know, will say, hey, 60-minute meetings now have to end in 50, some even shorter, and that extra 10 minutes, I'm asking you to not just go back and check more email or do more work. Go for a walk. Get some fresh air, listen to some music, <laughs> watch something funny on YouTube, but do something uh, to break up the stress and the difficulty. Positive feedback right now is something that excellent leaders are absolutely honing in on. How can they you know, boost their employees' morale by catching them doing things right and then sharing that you know, throughout the organization? I've seen leaders who've done a terrific job of stepping in and holding boundaries for some of their team members who you know, they're, they're trying their best uh, to be helpful and help the organization, but they can't hold their own boundaries. So they're on email you know, 24-7 on the weekends and they'll step in and say, listen, I've, I've seen this. I need you to stop, right? I need you to, to shut things down at whenever that is, 7 p.m. And, and don't unpack that laptop again until eight o'clock in the morning. And that just creates this inspirational sense of, hey, my leadership really cares about me. My organization really cares about me. And I would say other just you know small things that go a really long way. Empathy, the willingness to take the time. And this is a challenge for leaders because so much is being asked of them and there's so much they have to accomplish. So kind of the quip or the joke that I make is, look, I'm not saying that every interaction should turn into a counseling session and you can't you know, spend 45 minutes. But if there is a willingness just to probe one or two questions deeper, you know, Josh, how are things at home? How are you managing stress? Do you have clarity around prioritization? Can I help you with that? They just don't recognize how much that means to team members and employees who get off that call or uh, a lot of leaders that are just doing spontaneous touch bases, right? They just, and sometimes two, three levels down in the organization, they'll just reach out and, 
it, they're great stories because initially people pick up and sort of worry, hey, why is my boss's boss calling me and did I do something wrong? And then it's, hey, no, I just was thinking about you. I care about you. I just want to see how you're doing. And they're just profound morale builders. They're profound trust builders. So, so leaders who are, you know, waking up in the morning and saying, how am I going to inject some inspiration today. Other leaders, by the way, that are doing things like uh, making personal videos of themselves that are designed to be light, designed to be humorous, you know, take the edge off. You know, you obviously have folks that are doing virtual coffees and happy hours because they understand right now we need to be visible. We need to be engaged. People need to feel connected at a time when, when generally otherwise they'd feel isolated. So that's really what I'm seeing, Josh, that's inspiring even to me uh, are these leaders that are going out of their way to do those types of things for their organization. I think it is easier than usual to do that these days because we are living kind of a, a common life. We're living at least against a quote unquote common enemy. We we all have an idea of what each other is experiencing. That usually doesn't happen. So this is a unique situation. I'm wondering, do you think that this is going to kickstart something in people that will continue in the coming years? Or is this something that is maybe more of an outlier for our current context? Do you think that these these things that are started today are going to continue. You know, Josh, I've actually had that discussion with a lot of folks and we've been reflecting and, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, really just even in terms of how business will transform permanently, you know, how many folks, for example, that as a result of this are seeing, oh, you know, this part of the organization can work from home quite effectively. I mean, I'm certainly hearing that um, where, you know, maybe it's the customer service department and others that are actually being more productive uh, working from home and, you know, it makes sense, but you would say that, hey, once we have eventually more freedoms that that might get impacted. So I think there's those practical pieces. I think, you know, as far as the deeper elements of trust, cohesion, and collaboration purpose, and, and, you know, it's another thing I'd share that's been really positive. You know, a lot of my clients are in the, in the food world, you know, financial service, but, but in, but in roles that, you know, more than ever, they can see how essential their services are. And so many of them are saying, you know, John, I've, feeling a sense of of purpose, a sense of pride, you know, in my organization and what it does and how important it is that may not have come around, you know, if this, you know, this context wasn't what it was. So to your question, I think this is where it gets really interesting about human nature, right? Is, you know, can we sustain learning like this um, when things pivot back to normal? And I think it's, you know, it'll be a question, you know, if you we were just, I was just having a conversation with a leader about, you know, pros 2008, and maybe that, you know, right in the midst of the crisis, a lot of people maybe made some commitments or thought, we'll always do this or refocus on this and prioritize that. And in some cases that happened. And in others, you know, when it back went back to normal, you know, so did the behaviors. So I won't pretend to be uh, wise enough to know. I'm, I'm hopeful that I hope that the good, you know, of what's being learned here will sustain. I'm sure some of it will. Uh, and I think it'll be really interesting to look back, you know, in four or five years and, hey, was this more of a blip? And did we largely move back to how we always, you know, worked or not? So you have mentioned in this interview so far, the idea of leaders leading themselves and the importance of that. So one thing that I think would be also interesting to hear from you is, do you think that leaders generally do lead themselves well? Um, you know, I think that you really have a range there, Josh. I can tell you as a coach, you know, that you have some leaders who, you know, maybe it was a mentor that encouraged it to do it. Maybe it's just their personality that uh, they're just naturally more uh, self-reflective and kind of always thinking about, you know, beyond the technical parts of my job, how can I grow? And uh, and then, you know, others that are are probably naturally less less focused that way. Uh, so I think, 
it it is you know a little bit dependent on on the individual leader and just their own desire. I mean, again, as a coach, you know, one of the factors that I look for immediately, and it tends to become pretty evident very quickly, is just an individual's desire to learn and an, an individual's desire to be coached, you know, and to be open to feedback. There's no question that, that that's different, you know, from, from person to person. So, you know, again, I, I think, you know, whether it's COVID-19 that's happening or, or just back to the book uh, that I mentioned that business and the evolution and, and the rapidness of change, as I was saying, is such that I think it's forcing leaders to, if they want to stay successful, to get out of their comfort zone and to really take a step back and evaluate, okay, these are the habits that got me here and they were really successful in this structure, organization, and this role. But I have to be aware that the scorecard has changed. You know, what's going to make me successful in this role might be fairly different, you know, and am I willing to get out of my comfort zone? Am I willing to learn new skills? Am I willing to adapt? Uh, and I would say more and more, especially as I said, in global business, there's not really a choice, you know, that, that, that old school, I mean, maybe you have a job that's just totally technical or you can rely entirely just on your brilliance or your individual contribution. But I think leadership has evolved and will continue to evolve. And so those leaders that are unwilling, you know, if you will, to lead themselves and are unwilling to continuously reflect and grow and learn at some point, there's probably going to be a, a ceiling on, you know, how well they can lead. Today, we've been talking about, how leaders can help their teams operate at their full potential in the context of COVID-19. My question to you here is this. Do you think that our conversation, were we not to be in this situation, would it have been any different today in discussing your book? Or is it simply that the issues that we needed to talk about anyway are just more obviously highlighted today because of the situation we're in? Hmm. Yeah, I got another really great question, Josh. So as I said, the skills themselves, you know, in, in the book, but forget the book beyond that about leading in 21st century business around collaboration, trust, influencing, influencing without authority, you know, collaborating across boundaries, having a, you know, sort of an ownership or entrepreneurial mindset. As I said, you know, you can have a variety of versions of org structures, but there's not a lot of places where those things aren't going to be in demand. And certainly in COVID, all those skills um, are absolutely at a premium. I think the one distinction, as I said before, is that what COVID uh, has brought to leaders' attention for those that are paying attention to it, back to the self-leadership, what I'm focusing on is that the execution of those behaviors and those skills requires the absolute best functional version of us, right? So what I mean by that is, Josh, like, you know, to have the self-awareness in a conversation to be thinking about, all right, if I use this word, the impact is going to be this. If I use another, the impact is going to be this. Do I have the self-awareness and the range so I can calibrate my message? Am I listening? Uh, and not just by nodding my head, but ensuring I take the time to acknowledge, you know, the value of that person's idea before I step on it and say why I should do something different. You know, and I'm just giving you small examples, being strategic, being innovative, creative, right? All those things require us to be at our best. We just can't do that if we're overwhelmed, too tired, you know, stressed out, et cetera. And so I'd say the main difference and what's brought it maybe to light even more is what are we doing to 
to regulate ourselves in an environment where if we're not careful, not only can our mindset get hijacked so easily in terms of negativity of anxiety, you know, one of the skills that I talk about, I just, the the frame I use is mental toughness, you know, in a, in a crisis like this, you know, do you have the self-awareness to notice when you're spiraling in anxiety or worry, which is perfectly understandable, right? And I mean, we all probably have moments of it or just frustration and anger of the circumstance and what it means for business plans and, and reality and life. You know, it can be very easy to get stuck, meaning that the intensity of those emotions or the duration of those emotions can, you know, keep us hostage for hours and days. And so do you have the self-awareness to notice when you're there and use a technique to pivot out of it? So that's, I think, the main difference between the conversation. The skills remain equally relevant, plus the addition of things like how can I be intentionally inspirational? How can I intentionally be more empathetic that I, you know, maybe would be if it wasn't in a crisis, it wouldn't be as important. But I think that's the difference is acknowledging that there's the abstract, right? Intellectually, you and I can talk about these skills. You nod your head and go, sure, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm a good leader and I'll do that. Um, But it's the recognition that it's easier said than done. Uh, And you've got to do some things and put some things in place so that you're capable of doing that in a way that's sustainable. So, John, you've been incredibly generous with your time today. We were going to be talking about your book. You kind of came with this give first mentality and have been talking about how we can lead more effectively in this pandemic. I would like for you now, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of what you would like leaders who are listening to this podcast to get from your book if they're going out to buy it now based on what you've shared today, what are some of the things that they can take for this current time and for leadership beyond the pandemic? Yeah, I think, look, and this is based on a lot of people that have read the book and it's been formally reviewed by a lot of folks, that as a leader, if you find yourself in a position where a big part of the success of your job is being able to collaborate across boundaries, meaning in different parts of your business or just a variety of teams, if influencing uh, and motivating people to to move and get behind you know, your ideas uh, is something that's important to your success, if team building, like trust, cohesion, you know, those things are important to your success. And then, you know, maybe if you've given, if you've received feedback uh, around or, or just generally you're constantly trying to improve you know, how do you show up in meetings in terms of your executive presence and your impact uh, and, you know, your executive vocabulary and being strategic and creative. That the essence of this book is it's an executive coach's how-to, you know, manual uh, for those things. And I can assure you it's not a an abstract uh, or very academic, you know, sort of theoretical read, but rather, you know, the field-tested, tried-and-true Uh, skills and practices that have helped, you know, real leaders um, in my coaching practice, you know, for many, many years now. And, and I, I hope that it can be helpful to them. So that's probably the main thing I'd focus on. Well, John, if people have connected with what you've shared today, where would you like them to go to learn more about you and your work and particularly leading in the global matrix? Probably the the best place uh, is just to go to our website at optimumassociates.com. Uh, it's really straightforward. You'll get all the information about the book, interested in ordering that uh, and any of our other services. All right, John, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much, Josh. Huge thanks to John for going above and beyond, sharing with us some of the things that he's seen that leaders are doing well, leading in this integrated world, especially during this pandemic. So let's go ahead and go to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this, what got you here won't get you there. 
What got you to where you are today won't get you to where you want to go. That's something that's very important no matter where you are in life. But as John mentioned, we're a much more integrated and connected world than we used to be. And to lead effectively in today's world may require different skills and a different mindset than has been used in the past. But here's the thing. The same thing can be said 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Life will always be changing, so it's important that you are always growing. The second key takeaway is this. The skills that are important for good leadership are as important as ever today. But the opportunity for those who have those good skills is even greater. When you have done and continue to do those key things that set you up for leadership success, you will be much more resilient than a lot of others around you. And to hear a little bit more about this, I encourage you to check out episode 81 with Tom Shea, where he talks about three simple things for leading during chaos. I'll have that linked in the show notes at lifeasleadership.com slash 088. And the final key takeaway is one that John recommended for leaders to do for their teams, and that is to catch people doing good things. And when you catch them doing good things, highlight those things to them and to those around them, because that's going to be a great way to encourage people who are otherwise maybe too focused on the negative these days. Now, I hope you'll join us next week because we're going to hear from someone who does a lot of work helping people communicate effectively on stage, but more importantly, tell stories that are engaging. Tell stories that take everyday experiences from life and turn them into meaningful stories that you can use in your life and in your leadership. I look forward to sharing it with you next week. I hope to see you then, and until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.